Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Acts chapter 20 from the World English Bible. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, took leave of them, and departed to go into Macedonia. When he had gone through those parts and had encouraged them with many words, he came into Greece. When he had spent three months there, and a plot was made against him by Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he determined to return through Macedonia. These accompanied him as far as Asia, Sopater of Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derbe, Timothy, Antichicus and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas in five days, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and continued his speech until midnight. There were many lights in the upper room where we were gathered together. A certain young man named Eutychus sat in the window, weighed down with deep sleep. As Paul spoke still longer, being weighed down by his sleep, he fell down from the third floor and was taken up dead. Paul went down and fell upon him, and embracing him said, Don't be troubled, for his life is in him. When he had gone up, and had broken bread, and eaten, and had talked with them a long while, even until break of day he departed. They brought the boy in alive, and were greatly comforted. But we, going ahead to the ship, set sail for Azos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had so arranged, intending himself to go by land. When he met us at Azos, we took him aboard and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos and stayed at Trogilium, and the day after we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail past Ephesus that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening, if it were possible for him, to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to himself the elders of the assembly. When they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you all the time, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and with trials which happened to me by the plots of the Jews, how I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. Now, behold, I go bound by the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions wait for me. But these things don't count, nor do I hold my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy 
and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to fully testify to the good news of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that you all, among whom I went about preaching God's kingdom, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you today that I am clean from the blood of all men, for I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the assembly of the Lord and God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departure vicious wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will arise from among your own selves, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore watch, remembering that for a period of three years I didn't cease to admonish everyone night and day with tears. Now, brothers, I entrust you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver, gold, or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands served my necessities and those who were with me. In all things, I gave you an example that so laboring you ought to help the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had spoken these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. They all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all because of the word which he had spoken, that they should see his face no more. Then they accompanied him to the ship. That is the end of chapter 20. You will recall that the uproar being mentioned here at the beginning of chapter 20 is the riot started by Demetrius, as we are beginning to be told in Acts 19.24, and this is happening in Ephesus. Thus, it is the disciples in Ephesus that he is calling together at the beginning of Acts chapter 20, verse 1. And then here, Paul and his companions' travels are covered in this chapter, where they are going to many places, but not always all of them to the same places at the same time. Looking at a map, I am reminded that Ephesus is a port city on the east coast of the Aegean Sea, more to the southern part. So by traveling to the region of Macedonia, Paul is heading back up, as we would say it in our terms, to the northern coast of the Aegean Sea, where the cities of Philippi and Thessalonica are. And this is north of the Grecian peninsula, where he goes next, Greece again being a region. When it talks about him sailing to Syria, this also is a region, which on the map is shown as north of Judea, which was the land, what the land of Israel was called at that time during the Roman occupation. But Syria is a bit south of Tarsus in Cilicia, where Paul was born. And again, you can refer to Acts 15.23, where it refers to these two places as distinct. However, because of the plot, Paul heads back to the region of Macedonia. In verses 4 and 6, the list of names that are given would apparently be familiar with, or at least verifiable with Theophilus. They're given for a reason. Um, These are men from the places Paul has been. And here it distinguishes that Paul, and at least Luke, because it says we in verse six, and Luke is writing, didn't sail when the first group did to Troas up the coast or north by our way of describing it. 
One of the other questions that comes to my mind when reading all of this is how old Paul was during various events. In Acts 7.58 is when he is first mentioned, and there he is described as a young man. Exactly what young could mean, we talked about some when we talked about David being talked about as a young man, and it infers a couple of things. But first of all, keeping clearly in mind that it says he is a man. But based on other scriptures and the way of thinking during this time, he was probably not much more than 30, if that, and possibly closer to 20. I was thinking of a few things. For instance, the Pharisees are devotees of the letter of the law, if not the spirit, as Jesus points out. And it seems likely that a Pharisee like Paul at this time, Saul as he was called, would not be officially accepted into the ranks until at least 20 years of age if they went based on the biblical age for being a warrior, as talked about in Numbers chapter 1, verse 45, or they could have used the biblical age for entrance into the priesthood of of 30 years old, as mentioned in Numbers 4.23. Again, based on Numbers 4.23, We could wonder if such a man as a Pharisee would be given the kind of authority that Saul was given if he was under 30 years old, but he's kind of working in a a warrior mode, and David clearly went to battle when he was younger than that, so he could have been younger. Other historical references about Felix give us some perspective about how old Paul would have been. Felix was the governor of this region from 52 to 60 AD, according to other references. And in Acts 24, it would have been about 58 AD then, because that was about two years before Festus arrived, if you read the whole story there. Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones, in his notes on the chronology of Acts, says that the actual date of Paul's death and the manner of his dying are known with greater certainty than the death of Alexander the Great. And I'll put a link to that. So he gives that date as June 29, AD 67, and the manner of death as beheading. With the original Pentecost being about AD 30, that puts Saul in close approximation to the age range of Jesus. So his dates of his ages are kind of close to the year AD that is given. And then if you look at the timelines, the chronologies, and particularly I refer you back to Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones's, the events of Acts cover about 33 years, but that's not his whole Uh, time of ministry, because there is evidence from some of the things said in his epistles that they were written after the end of Acts. So from the beginning of Acts to Paul's death would have been more like 37 years to get to AD 67. Acts 20 itself would then be about AD 57 to 58, so quite possibly Paul would have been around that age. Verse 7 is one of the places in the New Testament where it mentions the believers, the disciples of Jesus Christ, gathering on a certain day, and in this case, they say it's the first day of the week. But as a number of commentaries remind us, this would not have been a weekend for them or a day off. In that culture, it would have been a work day. And so this meeting probably started with the evening meal as David Gusick suggests, meaning that this gathering had been going on approximately six hours when we get to the point where the poor man Eutychus falls out of the window. 
there were a couple of things I noted about this particular miracle. It seems to be the only time that it speaks of Paul bringing somebody back to life, at least referring back to Acts 19, where it's talking about the handkerchiefs and the aprons. The miracles listed are healings and getting demons cast out. When it comes to the particulars of this miracle with Eutychus, keep in mind that Paul has already gone down and, in a manner, prayed for him when he says his life is in him. So it's not like he's going down and saying he's not dead. He's saying now his life is in him. And then it seems like, because Eutychus arrives later in the morning, seems like maybe Eutychus did go get some sleep after all. Because verse 12 says that he was brought back in, and so they were all particularly happy to see him. In verse 13, it says, Paul did some walking, going south again along the eastern coast of the Aegean Sea, but skipping Ephesus because it would add too much time to his trip is the implication. Still, he has the elders come to meet him, and here he gives a defense of sort of his manner of living. He is pretty sure he's not going to see them again, and he wants to give a very clear picture of what his motivation has been and how pure his gospel message is. And he highlights that he was humble, that he suffered from bringing the message, that he told them everything, and he did it publicly, and he told everyone who would listen. And so, if anyone ends up condemned according to sin, it is not for his lack of declaring the whole counsel of God, again emphasizing that there's no new revelation about the gospel today and what is required of us. And then Paul also states that he labored to provide for his own needs and the needs of his his companions. And then he gives them this very sobering warning about savage wolves speaking perverse things, which will come some of these savage wolves will also be some of them, but they are to rely on the word of God. Here I want to point you to a YouTube video by an archaeologist named Joel Kramer, where he shows what it means to be a sheep in this region and how when a sheep leaves the protection of the shepherd, it means death. And I will put a link to that because the visuals of this and the sheep leaving it's just amazing. These these sheep, they're not just getting lost. They're actually choosing to leave the shepherd. And you can see in particular one that he films looking back at the group and the shepherd and then deciding to wander off. Now in verse 23, Paul says that he knows the Holy Spirit says that chains await him. This is something that keeps coming up and can be a little bit confusing. As we talked about in chapter 19, verse 21, not everyone agrees, not all of the translators agree that it's clear in context or according to the language that the spirit there should be capitalized. So it's possible when it says Paul purposed in the spirit that it's just something he really wants to do. He has a desire for it. And then here in chapter 20, verse 23, he says that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that chains and tribulations await him. And here he doesn't say specifically that he has been warned not to go anywhere. When we get to chapter 21, verse 4, we'll talk about this a little bit more because it gets into things that the Spirit told other people and a very specific prophecy by a man named Agabus. So since it covers it so much more, then I'll I'll try to wrap up what I'm thinking about that at that point. But this chapter ends with a lot of 
weeping and kissing because they know that they will not see Paul again. And they all accompany him to the ship, as it says in the final line. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey.